Welcome back everybody to Reading and Evaluating the DeMond Brothers, where we take a look at their book, The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church by Brother Peter DeMond, and compare what he's saying to the Word of God. Now, a special thing here for this recording, because it is Advent, it is close to Christmas, my lovely bride is wrapping up presents. Because I don't respect the DeMond brothers at all, and I hold them to be damnable false teachers, I don't care about the audio quality as much as I would for, say, the Sex and Marriage series, or sermons, or Sunday school, etc. Hi, honey, you like that? Hi! Exactly. It's okay to make the DeMond brothers upset with poor audio quality. That said, let's get into their next chapter in their book, The Bible on Praying to and Venerating Saints. Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4, this is how they open it. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Let's see how the DeMond brothers misinterpret this, as they have misinterpreted, intentionally cut short or taken out of context, and outright lied about many different passages and verses in Scripture. The Catholic Church teaches that there is one God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three divine persons in one God. Okay. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity. True God and true man. God alone is adored and worshipped. This adoration or worship, which is given to God alone, is called Latria. No, it's called worship. Speak English, dork. I do not need Latin phrases to demonstrate to me why what you're doing is not worship. Because, ooh, you pulled a special word from a different language out to show how this thing that looks exactly like this other thing with exactly the same intentions and exactly the same deeds is actually different because of the object of the thing that you're doing. We don't need to go into Latria and Dulia and Hyperdulia. Especially because, guess what, folks? The Bible wasn't written in Latin, and it wasn't written by scholastics. Anyway, let's keep going. I needed to preface this with that, because you're going to hear a lot of it. Saints in heaven are not adored, but are venerated as holy men and women of God in heaven. The veneration which is given to saints, which is not adoration, is called dulia. The veneration which is given to the greatest of all saints, the mother of God, is called hyperdulia. Hyperdulia is also veneration, not worship or adoration. Now that this has been made clear, let's look at what the Bible teaches of... Wait, wait, wait. What was made clear? The DeMond brothers just pooped some Latin words onto their typewriter in their monastery and told you, believe this. They didn't tell you what adoration is. They didn't tell you what veneration is. 
they didn't translate hyperdulia, dulia, or latria. They just said words and told you to believe it so that you stopped being Protestant. Oh, but let's see whether or not the Bible can prove the distinctions between dulia and hyperdulia and latria. <laughs> we must first consider what the Bible teaches and how holy men intercede with God. The Bible teaches that men intercede with God. Moses had an extraordinary power of intercession with God. Exodus 32, verses 9 through 14, The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power? Dot, dot, dot. Yet another dot, dot, dot that almost always means they're keeping something from you. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. <sighs> Wonderful translation there, guys. The, the word rendered evil there and repented is just changing the course of action from a disaster that God planned. Not that God said, hmm, I'm going to do evil. Oh, wait, I'm not evil. I'm not supposed to do evil. Teehee. Anyway, Moses' intercession with God was so great that God even asked Moses to allow him to destroy the Israelites this must not be understood in the sense that the Almighty God can be or was constrained by any man, but rather that he was powerfully swayed and influenced by this man's close relationship with him. Moses pleaded with him not to destroy them, and God relented because of Moses. As we can see, not all men are equal before God. Not all men have the same intercessory power with him. The intercession of extraordinary and saintly men is powerful and effective. Wait, wait, wait. You said, quote, Mr. DeMond, This must not be understood in the sense that the Almighty God can be or was constrained by any man. But as you talked about in a couple previous chapters on Mariology, you think Mary constrains Christ. You think Mary can just bully her son into doing whatever she wants. He's forced to obey her out of the fourth commandment. So if you go to Mary, she can ask her son and force him to do things. You've implied the same exact thing with St. Peter. Literal power over God in a sense that evokes a mental image of sorcery. Ancient ceremonial magic by which men bind the power of the deities. Note here that the passage they bring up, and the passage they bring up right after Abraham interceding for Sodom, is when both of those Old Testament saints were still alive. And neither of these passages includes an ought that you ought to pray to the saints. But... Oh, well, we can move on to the next section, which says, The Bible says that the prayers of a man would cause God to accept people he otherwise would not. 
The next example we will consider is one where the Bible says that the prayers of a man would cause God to accept people he otherwise wouldn't. Job 42, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said to Eliphaz, My wrath is kindled against thee, and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams. Go unto my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. Dot, dot, dot. So they went and did according as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord was turned at the penance of Job when he prayed for his friends. Of course, they're not using a very good Bible translation here, but they're going to claim, quote, The Lord was turned at the prayers and penance of Job. The intercession of prayers of saintly men obtain graces and favors that the Lord will not always otherwise give. God said that he would only give this grace to Eliphaz if Job would pray for him. Yes, because Job is serving in a priestly role there by which a rite of absolution is delivered. This doesn't give credence to nor support to the Roman Catholic doctrine of the cult of the saints, wherein you pray to dead people to get them to ask favors from God for you. There is nothing in this text that says that's what happens, especially because just like Moses and just like Abraham, Job here was still alive when God told them, hey, go to Job. Oh, but that's not going to stop these pagans here. God would only give Israel the victory if Moses, a man, held up his hands. Another example of the intercession of holy men is found in Exodus 17. We read that Israel went out to fight against Amalek. God enabled Israel to have the victory as long as Moses held up his hands. Sure, while Moses was alive. And he would lift up his hands, and when he got tired, some people helped him hold up his hands, and thus they were uh, in victory. Which tells you a little bit of something about the relationship of faith that God is trying to teach, but I digress. Do you see what they're doing? They're taking things that are not about the cult of the saints, and claiming, ah, yes, this is going to shore it up, because saints can intercede guarantee you eventually they're going to say ah but these saints are not dead you see because they are in heaven and thus are alive the lord's statement about the intercession of moses and samuel jeremiah 15 verse 1 and the lord said to me if moses and samuel shall stand before me my soul is not towards this people cast them out from my sight God says that even if Moses and Samuel stood before him, he would still reject this people. This is quite revealing. The people described in this passage were so bad that not even the powerful intercession of the great servants of God, Moses and Samuel, could relax God's anger against them. However, these words show us that the intercession of extraordinary servants of God such as Moses and Samuel, who have built up a special credit or influence with him, impacts how God deals with and looks at people, 
even if it didn't make the difference in this particular case because of how bad the people were. The intercession of saintly men helps determine what God does for people and what he does to them, as we saw with the examples above. Hmm. Well, about that. You see, the fun thing about the conditional statement that God makes about Moses and the other dude interceding for him is that they're not doing that. They're dead. Anyway, they go on to the next section. What about 1 Timothy 2.5? Jesus is the only mediator. Before we cover more biblical evidence for the veneration and intercession of saints, we must consider an objection. No, you shouldn't consider an objection until you have brought up your case. That is how argumentation works, Mr. Demond. But you want people confused and distracted because your Bible doesn't prove the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. I digress. Let's continue. One of the main objections that non-Catholics raise against praying to saints comes from 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator between God and men, they say, so you can't include saints or prayers to them. This objection is false for many reasons. Just because Jesus is the only mediator does not mean that others do not mediate as part of the one mediation of Christ. <laughs> the verse says something. That doesn't mean that it doesn't mean the opposite of what it says. <laughs> We're smart. <laughs> For example, in John 10:16, Jesus says that he is the one and only shepherd, but he appoints Peter to shepherd his sheep in John 21 verses 15 to 17. Ephesians 4:11 also teaches that there are many pastors or shepherds. The point is that these other sub-shepherds all work under and by the institution of the one shepherd, Jesus. Yeah, you know why that is, Pete? Because Jesus ascended to the Father. Our one over-shepherd went to the throne room of God at the Father's right hand. Meaning, there are still people here in the material realm that he uses to be under-shepherds. That's not a denial that he is the only shepherd, right? But he is going to use certain people to do the act of shepherding here in the material world because he's in heaven. So, 1 Timothy 2.5 does not give you the breathing room that you wish you had, Petey boy. My apologies, guys. But also, no apologies. I'm going to drench this episode in contempt for the sheer mockery of the Bible that it provides. Because my goodness, is this dumb. Another example is that Jesus says he is the supreme judge. We read this in John 9.39 and in many other passages. Certain men of God, however, will also act on his behalf as judges in heaven, even of angels, citing 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Matthew 19, verse 28. Yes, supreme judge, not meaning only judge, what are you doing? This is a dishonest dodge. 
If you cannot pray to saints, they say, then you cannot ask others to pray for you, period. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? If Jesus' unique mediation excluded prayers to saints, then it would also exclude asking a fellow man to pray for you. There is no way around the logic of this argument, for when you ask a fellow man to pray for you, instead of going to Jesus directly, you are asking another person to act as mediator with Jesus for you. That's what Catholics do when they pray to saints. No, 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 no. If any of your Catholic friends tell you this, you got to ask them. When you go to your buddy, who's there, right next to you, are they there, locally? Yes. Can they hear you? Yes. Can they pray to God on your behalf? Yes. Is that acceptable before our Lord Christ? Yes. Do you have any guarantee from Scripture that Mary can hear you? You see, if she was able to hear all of these prayers, millions and millions of prayers said to her every single day, and she's able to mentally process each and every one of them, she would have to be what? She'd have to be omnipresent to hear all of it. And then in order to process it mentally, she'd have to be omniscient. She'd have to be able to have such a massive, powerful mind that she could do all of this all at once. And then in order to pass the requests on to her son and to force him to obey her when it comes to those ones that she accepts, because after all, you can't make the Divine Mother unhappy, right? You'd have to make Mary omnipotent. Go ahead. Tell me this is not worship. That this is not a pagan kind of worship here. And the Demond brothers... In their audacity would tell you, well, you can't ask your buddy to pray for you when he's right next to you. Oh, no, you got to pray to omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent Mary, Peter, Jude, Joe, probably a bunch of dead popes and dead church fathers, too, because otherwise you just can't, right? What on earth are you getting at? They have, I've never heard a sufficient explanation from Roman Catholic priests that I've talked to, from Roman Catholic laity, from lay theologians. I've sat down at a desk across from a lay theologian in the Roman Catholic Church and asked him, how on earth are any of these saints able to do this? Unless they are made divine. And his answer, uh. But if I ask my buddy, or if I call my friend up on the phone, I know that he can hear me. I know that he is capable of praying for me. And God does hear those prayers. Lutherans do not deny that your average Christian does have some form of intercessory power. Why? Because God promises to hear our prayers. Does that negate Christ being the one mediator? Not at all. But when we are told, unless you pray to Mary, Christ isn't going to hear you. Unless you pray to Mary, you don't have a queen mother to go before her son and tell him, hey, you got to forgive this guy for that time he was jerking it to porn, or for that time that he gambled his inheritance money or something like that. 
when you say that it is a required mediation for guaranteed uh, infusion or passing along of grace, you are telling me that there isn't just one mediator between God and men. Do you know who receives your prayers? When you pray for someone in the name of Jesus Christ, who does the mediation between you and God? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you're praying to the Father directly, it is on behalf of Christ's merits. It is on behalf of his atonement that that mediation is performed. It is not, oh man, there's a bunch of mediators besides Christ and, and they, just, they, they just count for some reason. No, just Jesus. The Roman Catholic doctrine, at least as it is presented by the Demond brothers, is flipping the script. Ah, but they continue. The Bible teaches that Paul's suffering intercedes to win graces for people. I don't care. They bring up Colossians 1.24 where St. Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up those things that are wanting of the sufferings of Christ in my flesh for his body, which is the church. This verse might be a shock. To some non-Catholics who are not familiar with it, Paul says that he fills up for the church those things that are wanting or lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, Christ's suffering was perfect and of infinite value, so what does this mean? What St. Paul means is that many sufferings are still wanted and needed for the members of the church to work out their salvation, which was all made possible by Christ's sacrifice. That's right. Yet another assertion that Jesus dying on the cross for you was nothing more than a down payment on your salvation. It was nothing more than a loan that you got to pay off, pal. Why don't you go pay your indulgences? Give me a break. It is not Christ's sufferings that are wanting here. It is whether or not the things which St. Paul is suffering are already covered by the sufferings of Christ. Again, this verse is mysterious. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't die for all of your sins. And that he didn't pay it all off. But anyway, the truth is rooted in the unity of the body of Christ which exists after death. The fact that men can go to other men for prayers and that the saints in heaven can answer prayers and intercede. Wait, 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 that's sneaking in something. Nowhere does the scripture say that the saints in heaven can answer your prayers and intercede for you. Yes, Hebrews 12 speaks of a cloud of witnesses that cheers us on, that prays for us, but that does not mean that they can answer your prayers. The Demond brothers pull this right out of their butts, and just hope you don't notice it so you stop being Protestant. There is a union among the members of the Church of Jesus. This union does not cease when true members die. St. Paul says in Romans 8.38 that following that neither death nor life separates one from the love of Christ. Yeah, that's Christ's love. Not necessarily the rest of the body of Christ. Nor does it separate the true faithful who abide together in the body of Christ, whether on earth or in heaven. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and verse 21. 
Well, that's an odd separation of verses, but it writes, All the members of that one body, being many, are one body, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, why would they have two verses in isolation with eight verses between them? Let's be investigative Christians and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's go ahead and start... In verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Four. Verse 12, just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, and that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now I know, you might have that aunt who's all about spiritual gifts continuing after death. That's why she has St. Jude candles for when she needs her lawn to grow an extra inch. Because she believes that St. Jude can accomplish super miracles here on earth according to his spiritual gifts. But that's not what St. Paul is talking about. He isn't talking about the subject of the saints who are in heaven. Do you know how the scriptures speak of the saints who are in heaven? As though they are asleep. They're not going to be able to heal you if they had the miraculous gift of healing. They do not speak to you with a word of wisdom audibly, although I'm sure some of them, you could say their writings persisted, but definitely not all of them, especially when it comes to saints like Mary. The passage isn't talking about dead saints. It is talking about the body of Christ functioning as a body here on earth. But the DeMond brothers don't want you thinking about that too hard, so they're going to show you two verses in isolation and only parts of those two verses to continue pushing a Bible-scented paganism. And oh yes, next week when we get into this, they will be even worse about it. 
Because they're going to bring up books that aren't in the Bible. Oh boy, is that going to be fun. So, prepare yourselves, I suppose, for part two in this two-parter subject. Oh my gosh. Anyway, guys, I know that I've talked about the DeMond brothers as a cautionary tale for what you do when your denomination abandons you, but unfortunately, they are just doing what their denomination has taught. Even before the denomination abandoned the DeMond brothers. But they're only going to make it worse. And we will see that as many people who are trying to be traditional end up creating Bible-scented paganism. We'll check that out next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.